Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian, author and co-host of the Lawman podcast, Alistair Beckett-King. How are you doing? Hello, Daniel. I'm very well, apart from being stuck on a desert island. Things are going very well for me. Thank you. <laughs> good, good. Thank you for coming on today. We're about to talk about people and things you detest or, or yeah. to be stuck with. Yeah. How's, how's this as a prospect for you? Well, it's been very difficult for me. Normally, when people on a podcast say, come up with your, your top five this or um, your top three that, I feel like, oh, I better not just pick all of the uh, the cishet straight white guys who influenced me when I was 14 years old. But the good news about this is because I'm picking bad people, I can just do all cishet white guys without feeling bad about it. Because like, but I'm saying they're bad. So that's fine, right? <laughs> yeah, right? I think so. I think that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, are you a sort of a ranty person in general, or are you sort of quite? Calm? I have been. I've been known to rant. I um, I don't do it in comedy. Like I don't. I'm not a ranting stand-up comedian mm. because, um, and and this bodes really poorly for the podcast. I don't think I'm that <laughs> funny when I'm when I rant. I think when I'm angry about something, people listening just go, "Yeah, he's right. Actually, we should change." Uh, I'm just so truthful. <laughs> okay. Well, look. We'll we'll just start and we'll see how we get on. Great. Who's going to be the first person on the island with you? The first worst person to be stuck on an island with, for me, is Oliver Cromwell. Okay, Oliver Cromwell. What's your beef with old Oliver? Well, first of all, I look I look too Irish to feel safe around Oliver Cromwell, famous as he is for genociding Irish people. Mm. I mean, that that's bad, and I feel like there's, uh, there's no two ways about that. You shouldn't do that. But the thing that really gets me about Oliver Cromwell, not not to sort of put that to one side, but putting that to one side, the thing that really gets me about Oliver Cromwell is I'm a, I'm a Republican. Uh, I'm not in favour of the monarchy. And Oliver Cromwell got rid of the monarchy and then was just so annoying that they brought the monarchy back because he was <laughs> such a wanker that they were like, this is worse, actually. Now that he's dead, let's just bring the monarchy back. And it's like a Puritan. He was like, oh, we got rid of the monarchy. I was like, yes, brilliant. And he said, also, there can be no dancing. And now Christmas has to be boring. And you can't do anything fun because I'm a Puritan. And also, my son should be in charge after me. You idiot. You, we were so close. <laughs> we were so close and you ruined it by being a wanker. And also murdering loads of Irish people. Yeah, yeah. Which is also bad. That is also very bad. Yeah, it's just, it's not not the way to behave. Yeah, I mean, obviously... Again, I don't want to side. I don't want to park that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's perhaps the least entertaining part of um, Oliver. Well, it's just you know, it's just such an obvious, obvious no no. You know, it, well, that, it is you know, especially on an island with only four people. We can't have a genocider on the island yeah, without that exactly. causing problems. Exactly, um, but yeah, the, the the monarchy thing is it is annoying. Like you know, big regime change, and it just ends up kind of equally bad and not that fun and more puritanical and you just think oh, it's so disheartening when things like that happen isn't it and you go yes. oh, i thought this was our fresh chance and oh fuck think of what a cool hip country we would be by now mm. if we hadn't gone can we have the monarchy back <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry ah oh, i hate england but i hate <laughs> elva cromwell more for for making england worse 
Yeah, just why make it boring after all that time? It's like, have a big party in all the palaces. Like, do, you've like, just chopped a king's head off. The, the French, not, the French are not always right, but the French got that bit right. Yeah. Don't stop at one and then ban dancing. Yeah, but I just wonder, I, it just sort of smacks of something like where at a dance as a child, he got ridiculed for his moves. <laughs> By a really good Irish dancer. And he was like, one day. Yeah, wearing a crown, uh, like a party hat at Christmas. <laughs> apparently he enjoyed pranks. He enjoyed pranks. Yeah, apparently in contrast to his puritanical reputation, he quite enjoyed pranks, which I also regard as the worst possible kind of joke. Because the whole joke of a prank is... I knew I was pulling a prank on you, but you didn't because I didn't give you that information. <laughs> it's like that isn't a joke, is it? That's cruelty. That's not a joke. It's like a prank phone call. I phoned up pretending to be someone else. <laughs> it's not a joke. It isn't a joke. You're just lying. Sorry. I might, I might have to turn my mic down. I didn't realize how much I was going to shout. <laughs> That's fine. No, I just, I also wonder, someone who oversaw the genocide of lots of Irish people and wants to ban Christmas and had someone, you know, executed. I mean, what what kind of pranks are they? Well, you're mixing good things and bad things there. So that's confusing, obviously, to include the execution of the king, a good thing with um, the genocide, a bad thing. Yeah, but he could have just, he could have peaceably removed him, I suppose, is where I'm going. Yes, absolutely. The removal I'm in favour of, but yeah, the other bit. But I mean, what kind of pranks? It'd be like, aha, I've cut your leg off, or like, I've sent your whole family to prison. Like, (laughs) hey, the joke's on you. Yeah. And then he'd be like, guys, I've banned Christmas. And you're like, aha. Oh, these pranks are getting better, Oliver. Oh, no, that's... that's. <laughs> oh, God. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's awful. Yeah, fair enough. Also, I mean, just completely different attitude. I mean, he was from such a long time ago now. I mean, what are you going to talk about? I mean, okay, I guess the usual food, shelter, that kind of thing. But after that, I mean... <laughs> There's not going to be a lot of common ground between me and Oliver Cromwell. <laughs> Well, I think it's a superb place to start because he was obviously a bastard and not even a fun bastard at that. No, no, not even one of the fun ones. The most boring bastard you can imagine. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, let's see who's going to be joining him. Who's your second choice? Well, I was about to say it's controversial, but it's uh, it's a list that only I have thought of and I've told nobody about it. So really, I don't know how I think it's generated controversy, but uh, they say you should never meet your heroes. So my second person is my uh, childhood hero, Terry Gilliam, the film director and animator from Monty Python, Hmm. who I have always uh, deeply admired and loved, but who lately has been really annoying me (laughs) on social media. I've never met him, obviously. Hmm. Uh, But his various statements on the the issues of the day have infuriated me in a sort of, um, yeah, in that sort of you shouldn't meet your heroes or maybe more precisely, your heroes shouldn't be allowed to have social media over a certain age. I don't know. Is that <laughs> is that ageist? Is that unfair? Well, I don't know. Maybe they should be given a few strikes. Um, so I sort of feel like we get into a lot of rows and he probably wouldn't like me as much as I like his films. And so that would be awkward. Yeah. He's become a bit of a sort of grumpy old man on social media, hasn't he? I, I don't remember the most recent thing, but I, I don't follow so, him. Well, but- he, he said, um, I don't want to be a, a white man anymore. Uh, I, I now identify as a black lesbian. It's like that's mm. a, That is a hilarious 1989 PC gone mad joke that you're doing 30 years late. And it wasn't hilarious in 1989. And also, can you honestly name a prominent film director who's a black lesbian? Mm. 
like I know a reasonable amount of film. I think I can think of one film and I can't remember the director's name. Mm. Like it's just, it just flatly isn't true that being a black lesbian helps you get ahead in the movie business. So why say it? Yeah. It really annoys me because it isn't true. Also, it annoys me because I can do quite a good impression of him, but nobody knows what he sounds like, so it's not a useful impression to be able to do. <laughs> it's like when you when you get at doing your teacher at school, and then you're grown yeah. up, and no one knows who they are. You're like, oh, that was so good, though. <laughs> yeah, complete waste. Yeah, um, it makes you think. What's gone on with the whole Monty Python lot? I mean, I think Michael Palin so far still okay, you know, but like- Palin. I was very impressed. Sarah Polly, who um, the, the film director, who was the um, the the little girl lead in Baron Munchausen, Munchausen in Baron Munchausen, um, wrote a piece about how how dangerous it was on set for her and how distressing and how how badly handled she was. Hmm. And naturally, people tried to sort of tear her apart. Say, oh, she just wants attention. And to his great credit, Eric Idle said, no, I was there. It was really dangerous. Terry shouldn't have got away with it. This is really bad. And it's hard to it's hard to say, no, this person's right. And my long-term collaborator, hmm. you know, was being reckless. And so, I, I, you know, fair play to Eric Idle. Also, fair play to Eric Idle for being the, I think, the engine behind all of the Monty Python merchandise that has allowed them all to continue <laughs> living without really producing much <laughs> and has funded, no doubt, a lot of... Terry Gilliam's uh, film work. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. I I think the problem is not to, you know, I'm not in a position to diagnose um, Gilliam and Cleese, but if you're used to upsetting the, the forces of conservatism in your, in your 20s and 30s loads, like, you know, Life of Brian was banned all over the world. They genuinely upset the forces of conservatism and to then, when you're in your, uh, your your dotage, come out with a variety of bizarre pronouncements and have people go, "What the hell?" I think they come they come away from that thinking, "Still get it, <laughs> still upset in the squares." It's like you're not upsetting the squares now; you're just being racist. <laughs> yeah, it's so disappointing, isn't it? And it seems to happen more and more. I mean. And again, it's that thing, you know, obviously I'm very much not the first person to say it, but that's that whole thing, especially with John Cleese, of just sort of being in a position where you get to say publicly what you think a lot and then complaining how you're not allowed to say what you think all the time, you know. And, it's like, and you know, lots what, of- he, he said something about, like, um, how he couldn't get his sitcom on the BBC or he wouldn't... I think he then changed it to he wouldn't take his sitcom to the BBC. Yeah. But it's like, when was the last time any broadcaster commissioned a sitcom from someone over 70. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it just, like, I, I'm not saying that ageism in the industry isn't serious. I think it, it, there really is a, an ageism problem um, in comedy. But it's like, it's not weird that you haven't had your sitcom commissioned. Most people's sitcoms aren't commissioned. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, that isn't a new, Victoria Wood, um, you know, had real difficulty, you know, with an incredible body of work behind her, had real difficulty getting things commissioned. We're not saying commissioners aren't wrong all the time, but it doesn't mean there's a conspiracy against you personally, yeah. elderly white man. And also, it's like, well, you've had a pretty good run anyway. So, you know, you've got a comfortable life based on your <laughs> long well, history it, of, of getting Depending on how many ex-wives you have, I th- I'm not sure how far that... That life and pension goes. That's true. So I do think there may be issues there. But I mean, it's one thing kind of having had lots of success in your life and then being bitter that you don't continue to. But there's a lot of people who've never had the success, uh, (laughs) you know, and 
and largely because of like who how they identify or what you know ethnic or sexual group they're you know or, or gender they're you know part of yeah it's like you've had a really good run at it like you can't be hard done by now i agree and i think th- i i don't think it's inevitable i can think of various people who um who have uh continued to sort of innovate in in terms of the work they do as as comics and also in terms of their attitude towards comedy and what comedy can be like. Mm. Um, so perhaps I should have said John Cleese um, rather than Terry Gilliam. But I, but the truth is that I think Gilliam had a, had a bigger influence on me. So um, and I, I I still feel extremely warmly towards him and his films, which is why I feel so conflicted about it and why it would be really awkward on the island. Yeah, exactly. I mean John Cleese would be a nightmare on a desert island because he's such a moaner. He'd be like, I don't like this. Desert island. It's like it's, it's like yeah. I know, John. We're on a desert island. It's not meant to be comfortable. <laughs> yeah, no. But I think it's you're right. I think it's more painful to be stuck with someone that you um that you did you know you idolized and then you just sort of get to know all their annoying ticks. Was if someone was a dick to begin with, maybe they'd surprise you. But it's you're going to feel more let down with Terry. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it's a fair choice. Okay. Well, who's going to be the third person rounding out this uh, triumvirate? Well, I'm cheating a little bit on the third because I noticed that you didn't have worst video games and most of my most controversial and worst takes are about video games. Okay. So I'm cheating and I'm going to have David Cage, the creator of multiple video games as okay. my worst person. <laughs> Principally because I really, really, really hate the video game Heavy Rain. Okay, right. Now, I'm not a huge gamer myself. So um, for for those of us out there who, who aren't familiar with the, with the title, give us a little background. Well, Heavy Rain is a, a, a multi-award winning video game. It's won, it's won a couple of BAFTAs. And this is not a criticism of any of the people who worked on it. You know, it looks fantastic. You know, at the time it was like one of the best looking games. It's super high polished. It's a serial killer thriller type situation with a missing kid and cryptic clues. And uh, it is also the absolutely the worst video game ever made. But nobody seems to know. (laughs) Like it's really well reviewed and it won several BAFTAs. So basically it's as if. You know the room, mm. the film, the, the the not you know not the um, not the trapped in a room one, the the really bad. Oh hi Mark. Yeah, the terrible, terrible. If the room had was quite po- it is quite polished. It's as if the room won multiple Oscars and people didn't realize that it was a terrible film. The only way to enjoy Heavy Rain is to enjoy it in a it's so bad it's good kind of way. Right. But there are people out there enjoying it as if it were just good. And I and, it, and it, it's <laughs> plot wise. I don't want to be the plot holes guy. The plot makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Mm. Your child has been kidnapped due to um, being annoying, as far as I can tell. (laughs) And to get him back, you have to solve a series of riddles. At the end of each riddle you solve, you get a a little um, memory card showing you your child in an increasing state of peril. Um, And those are sort of time stamped. So each, each time you solve a puzzle, the video is of the child like an hour before. And there are there are six puzzles, and you're given them all, or six or seven puzzles, and you're given them all at the start. But the game makes you solve them sequentially. Except, and sorry to be a nerd here, <laughs> what that means is because those videos have to be recorded just before you solve the puzzle, the 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 end points of the puzzles haven't been set up at the start because 
they, because they haven't been recorded yet. Uh, I'm realizing that there's no way this makes any sense to anyone. The point is, the the main character solves the puzzles sequentially in order when it would make way more sense to solve the later puzzles and then wait for the guy to come and set them up. There's no reason to do it in the order that the game tells you to do it in because you're just constantly chasing the guy. I, I can't explain. I can't explain <laughs> no, how bad it, it is. That doesn't does, that doesn't make any sense, does it? No, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, but it's also appalling on a character level. Like the the game is only interested in things from the um, from the protagonist's point of view. It's nothing has been thought through remotely from any of the other characters. So the the the, the sort of the female semi protagonist is just it it makes no sense. She hasn't been thought. It, it's just appallingly sexist. She's incredibly one-dimensional. Why she is even interested in or attracted to or spending any time with the protagonist, no time has been spent thinking about that. I think there's like one black character who is an incredibly uh, scary, muscle-bound mechanic criminal who tries to murder you like within a second of meeting you, and that's it, uh, and is uh, voiced quite dubiously. It, it's, it's just an appallingly stupid, stupid, exploitative piece of trash. But no one knows, Daniel. They think it's good. Oh. I can't explain how, how little the plot makes sense. The plot <laughs> is the stupidest plot you've ever heard. Oh, and so, okay, I'm going to spoil something in it here, right? You, the protagonist, think you might be the one murdering people because every time the murderer attacks, you black out. So, and then you, you unblack out. And then at the end of the game... Why that happens is never resolved. We never find... You're not the murderer, but for some reason you blacked out during the murders and for no reason, just because that would be cool. Yeah. Just just to create intrigue. Every decision is made from a what would be interesting at this point perspective rather than what might a human being do in this situation or what would be in coherent. It's just, it's just shit. <laughs> it's just so bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I love those sort of things where you go... Oh, yeah, we never found out why he blacked out constantly because uh, that would be quite a big question. I mean, if he has no history of blacking out suddenly. It's, all... it's a major question. Apparently, the, like, there was going to be a reason, but they just didn't put it in the game in the end. <laughs> well, maybe you shouldn't have made the game at all. Yeah. Would be my suggestion to you. <laughs> it's the worst. And it's pre and it, not just all of that. Like, I don't mind I don't mind a trashy pulp story. It is pretentious. It's, it's, it's that and it's pretentious. Mm. It's the pretensions. To, this, is, this is serious grown-up game making this is this is the citizen kind of games like it's not it's the the room of games <laughs> presumably this means that you've been in conversations quite a lot where you've had to defend your position on this against a load of people who think completely the opposite people just like it people enjoyed it yeah like it's got it's it's got it's it looks good and it's kind of easy to play mm. so it leads you through it i mean it is it is enjoyed ironically by a lot of people it's spawned plenty of memes right um because it's sort of laughably terrible. Mm. Um, the, open, the the female character, it starts with her in her apartment um, getting slightly naked and taking a shower, and then men attack her, and it's sort of like a dangerous, sexy fight where she might die. But that, Daniel, that was just a dream for no reason uh, in order to include nakedness in a fight at the start of the game, and that isn't going to come back in any way. <laughs> She's just a nightmare. Now she's uh, she's back to, back to her work. That wasn't That's not going anywhere. That was just a thing we did. It, the whole game is like that. It's awful. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's a horrible feeling when 
I always find this when you hate something that other people love and you've got to try and defend your position against, you know, about why it's so bad. Yeah. It's not me hating it that's the issue. It's other people enjoying it. I I cannot accept that there are people out there who don't like it. I want to meet them one by one and explain why they're wrong. And so, you know, you're stuck there with the man who oversaw this whole game uh-huh. and he's going to keep going, well, I think my BAFTAs beg to differ. <laughs> They, they don't bend to differ, but after they clearly don't know what they're talking about when it comes to games, they were won over by pretty good gra- graphics. Mm. And then you're going to have Terry going, well, as a creator, I think, you know, you don't really know what's gone into <laughs> this keep game. Keep out of this, and, Terry. I'm going to end up hanging out with Oliver Cromwell, aren't I? That's the worst thing about this island. Yeah, exactly. And then what have you got to do? I mean, Christ, he's probably going to gang up with the other two. And because, mm. especially with Terry, I think, because, you know, he has a strong dislike of certain groups of people, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> David Cage made Detroit Become Human, um, which uh, I have not played, but in which um, he says the androids are not supposed to be sort of uh, symbolic of uh, uh, African-Americans in the uh, the civil rights movement as the robots in the story seek um, sort of recognition as human beings. Uh, but anybody with a, 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 an iota of intelligence can see that obviously that is the plot of the game and that maybe David Cage is, is not best placed to, um, with nuance, do a racism allegory in a game. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> look, uh, I haven't played that one. I played about 10 minutes of it. I hate it as well, but not as much as I hate Heavy Rain. Well, then I think you're going to hate him in person. I mean, regardless probably. of, uh, yeah, of how, what he's actually like as a person, I think your hatred for his output is probably going to be enough. Or, I mean, he might be a nice person, but you're going to be so conflicted, uh, you know, everything you feel about him. And you like video games, but you're never going to want to talk to him about them just in case he talks about his own work and you're going to have to go, I fucking yeah. hate this. And I have to say, I really hate. Yeah, it's very, look, I've, I've made games, I've worked on games. It's really hard to make video games. So I, I don't like to be critical of them in yeah. general, <laughs> but uh, I do hate heavy rain. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, on that basis, I'm not going to play it either. Not that there was a much chance of me doing that, but you've done a superb takedown of it. So, yeah, I think you've got a good selection of characters on your island. Um, so it's it's not looking good for you. But mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Uh, well, my my worst food is melted cheese. Okay. And my worst drink is strawberry flavoured milkshake. Right. Okay. Um, so presumably the heat of the wreckage has melted the cheese. Yeah. I don't even like being in the same room as melted cheese. Uh, the smell of it is revolting to me. And how do you feel about regular cheese? Not as bad. Okay. Yeah, it's um, I, 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 it's on the edge. So some cheeses I like the closer they are to melting or being melty cheese, the less I like them. I am a vegan, which means I don't eat any cheese these days yeah but I'm, I'm harking back to when i did eat cheese and drink milkshakes and remembering how much i hated strawberry flavor and the revolting pong of melted cheese like cheese all melted on top of past spaghetti bolognese revolting the worst <laughs> the worst thing i can imagine i think i used to have a bit of an aversion to cheese on toast when i was younger and it definitely yeah it does something does happen to it that's different i mean now i'm pretty keen on it I, i'm i'm a big fan of well i think a lot of um i think we're a bit more lactose intolerant as kids i think a lot of people a lot of kids don't like cheese and then as you grow up you get used to it 
And mm. I, I was certainly one of those kids. And like most most people globally are are a bit lactose intolerant, aren't they? Like it's a it's unusual. Most sp- mammals don't eat dairy products into adulthood, so I think we're we're unusual in that respect. I've got worse as I get older. Definitely, I have to watch out as part of the fun process of aging. And you know, I have to be all particular <laughs> about my diet. I'm like, God, why am I so bloated today? What's going on? Oh, it was that <laughs> tiny bit of that thing I'm not supposed to have. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, I find it difficult to get that angry with melted cheese, but the point is it's your island. And I just think if that's... <laughs> I, I chose it because I, I wanted to be provocative, Daniel. Yeah. I, I know some people listening will be like, oh, I love melted cheese. And it's like, well, get to um, David Cage Island then and eat some because that's where it is. <laughs> I just think, I mean, regardless of your position on it, it's not the best food to be stuck with on an island. Is it? No. I mean, even if you're a big cheese fan, I mean, just... Melted cheese, sand. I agree. And it's all about the ratio as well. Like on a pizza, you've got the tomato, which which balances out the melted cheese, and, and that can work. But just the cheese on its own, for, you would scold your hands just trying to scoop it out of a vat, mm. for one thing. You've got no crackers. Yeah. And I think got for, no toast. for you as someone who doesn't mind normal cheese so much even if you kind of let it cool and solidify it's it's still it doesn't go back into normal cheese it's, it does not return it's to just its hard melted state. cheese yeah so it's a weird, weird rubbery flap of cheese yeah yeah okay and the strawberry milkshake and so we're talking about the sort of artificial strawberry taste that's exactly what we're talking about yes daniel i enjoy strawberries who doesn't mm. i i like milkshakes Strawberry milkshakes are appalling. Strawberry flavour doesn't taste anything like strawberries. Someone had to say it. I can't believe, did he really say it? Yes, I said it. Strawberry flavouring doesn't taste like strawberries. Again, I'm basing this on like 1996 because I haven't had a strawberry milkshake since then. Maybe they've improved in the interim. If they have, I don't want to know about it. <laughs> there's there's definitely like a, a smell that's stronger than it should be with a strawberry mm-hmm. milkshake. Like something that's just milk and a strawberry flavour shouldn't have as much of a like a heady whiff as it does. Like I remember at school kids having it and like, I'm not a big fan. It's same with banana, like a banana in a smoothie or a milkshake, I'm very happy with. But banana mm. flavour is just this whole weird thing, isn't it? And the colour, like a strawberry milkshake, is like cowpole pink. Mm. It's, it's weirdly medicinal in its appearance. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to be a, a difficult one to um, to to enjoy. But someone just bought my son um, some of the... Like, you can get these straws for kids and it's like they've got sort of chocolatey granules in them. So if you drink milk with them, it tastes chocolatey. And you bought them some strawberry ones as well. I don't normally buy this kind of thing for my kids, so he's quite excited. And But even that, the strawberry, just getting a bit close to it, it was a real, like, it's still that kind of... Nah. That sort of pungency to it. It's just, it's never been ne- near a strawberry in real life. Yeah. But strawberry sweets, they also don't taste like strawberry, but I'm fine with those. I'm not. Okay. I, 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 well, you know, um, you, you do you, as they say, <laughs> as the kids say. But um, no, thank you. I would not have anything strawberry flavored. Okay, interesting. All right. Well, a strawberry flavored milkshake and a big vat of melted cheese does sound like a, a crap meal. So uh, it does sound awful. So enjoy. Fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? 
Okay, well, with song, mm. um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. My least favorite song is whichever song is stuck in my head on a, like a small sample of it is stuck in my head on a loop when I'm trying to sleep and I can't sleep mm. for about two or three hours. Um, so most recently, it was a very good song, uh, Five Years by David Bowie. You know mm. that song? Yeah. So yeah. for like for like two and a half hours, I had just five years, some lyrics I don't know, five years, over and over in my head. I cannot, I, I don't know how to, I see you're supposed to sing God Save the Queen or God Save the King in your head to get an earworm out. Okay. And then it goes away for a couple of minutes and then it comes back. Um, so it's it's whichever song is keeping me awake, which at the moment, sorry, Bowie, it's five years. Yeah, it's that just particular torture, isn't it? Even if it's a good song. I mean, my brain rarely lets me have a good song stuck in my head. It's always something yeah. I dislike. Although recently I, I was listening to a, uh, Kate Bush's uh, album, The Kick Inside, a lot, which I love. And I kept getting that stuck in my head to the point where it was driving mm. me mad a little bit. And I think... I don't know. Do, do you grind your teeth to the rhythm of it? Because that's what I do. So I'm, I'm, I just crunch, crunch along, wearing down the old molars to the rhythm of whatever. And it's never a whole song. It's always just a little, like a little snatch of the chorus. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It doesn't let your brain, like your brain is obviously capable of doing a whole song in your head. But Easily. It won't, Easily, won't, yes. won't let it happen. It's like... There are some people who can't see pictures in their head properly. Yes, I think it's called aphantasia or aphantasia. Yeah, and I wonder if there's people who can't hear as strongly in their head because when I hear something, it's mm, almost like a aphonia, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Aphonia. But... I'm just making up. I'm just guessing what the word <laughs> might be there. That, uh, this is not based on any knowledge. I was just guessing what it might be called. Hey, maybe we're the people who've just named it. We might have just invented aphonia. For people who can't hear things in their heads, what a dream that would be to not be able to hear music in your head. Because it's nice. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I don't have my headphones and it will, I, I can sort of make do. But other times when it's something I don't want, it's so strong. It's it's really just, it's too much. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it seems like you suffer from insomnia and this happens quite a lot to you. Mm -hmm. Are there any other hits or is it just whatever you've heard that day? That it's it, Well, sometimes it can be, I think... Um, uh, Robbie Williams's "Angels" is a recurring oh, problem for me. Uh, not not a song I like, um, but for some reason that one has followed me throughout the years. Ah, uh, terrible, terrible song in its own uh, right. So maybe I should swap that out because I do like Five Years, uh, and I don't particularly I don't particularly care uh, for the work of uh, Robert Williams. So if 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 a substitution is allowed, I could go with "Angels." Well, I was thinking because of the fact that it's it's varies, and you only ever get a sort of snippet at a time maybe we could give you some kind of compilation with just sort of <laughs> 30 second loops yeah. uh of of you know let's say like your last six months of insomnia based uh, based earworms yeah a mixtape so yeah that would be my worst song a mixtape of earworms yeah it's such an interesting thing where your brain is just sabotaging you and you're like, you're me, you're on my side, you need the rest. You need the rest. Let's just We're both we're both tired. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Maybe the problem is I'm talking about we. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm the cause of this. But um yeah, I think um anything that you've ever had as an earworm is quite difficult to ever go back from. So yeah, it's especially annoying if it's a good song. Um what would your film choice be? Well, on the subject of insomnia, uh, my film may be a solution for ins insomnia because uh, I found it uh, in infuriating and incredibly dull. 
I don't know whether you will have seen the film. Um, um, based on how well David Cage went down, um, <laughs> you having never heard of it, I'm not that confident. Uh, my least favourite film is Michael Haneke's 71 Fragments of a Chronology of Chance. I have not seen that film. I'm Just the title is bad. Did you hear the title, though, Daniel? 71 Fragments of a Chronology of Chance. Why not just wank directly at me? I don't understand. It's so annoying. That's such an annoying title. I bet it sounds better in German or whatever language Michael Haneke has the arrogance of speaking as a first language. Um, right, so what's annoying here is that Haneke is probably... Obviously, a brilliant filmmaker and a genius. Mm -hmm. He's a, a much lauded art house filmmaker. He's not like David Cage. I think he's actually supposed to be good. Yeah. And I'm sure he is, but I hate it. <laughs> so there's a scene in this film where a guy, uh, a teenager, plays uh, ping pong against um, a half, you know, a half folded up ping pong table. Yeah. You know, where if you want to play solo ping pong. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it lasts about seven and a half minutes. And all that happens is it is that the guy plays ping pong. It's like seven and a half minutes of for seven minutes, for seven minutes of my life. You arrogant man, Michael Haneke! How dare you make me watch that? Uh, I'm going to spoil the ending of it. It ends with that kid shooting up a post office with you know like a, a mass shooting. It's like good. At least something flipping happened. <laughs> It's like, ah, oh, I, I was ready to shoot, shoot, shoot up a place. It's so boring and annoying and arrogant and violent and cold and cruel and dull and uninteresting and inhumanly bland. And I'm sure he's a genius <laughs> and I'm sure it's good art. And I hate it so much. And it, But also I feel guilty for hating it, like I'm the Philistine, for not getting why. Being incredibly obtuse, distant, and, and cold is brilliant. I don't get it. I hate it. <laughs> it sounds like the more satisfying ending would be a, go a load of people finish their duties in the post office and go around and shoot him <laughs> whilst he's playing ping pong for so long. I'm trying to get yeah. some sleep here. <laughs> oh, I, I, I've, I've, I, I haven't seen... So Hanukkah directed Funny Games, which is probably his most famous film, which I have not watched. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm... Go I'm I can't judge the film. I've seen Cachet, which is a film that begins with the premise that a French man is being unfaithful to his wife, which is just so implausible. <laughs> I couldn't get on board. Cachet is or hidden. I also didn't really like it, hmm. but it's better than 71 Fragments of a Chronology of Chance. I can't even... It's such a bad title. It's a terrible it's title. It's a terrible title. You know, obviously in some films, there can be a scene that doesn't have to all be like hyper digestible for every every no. kind of person and sometimes you can have an artful shot where something stays on a, a scene for a bit longer than you would think normal but there is a point where i just think no one wants to see this for seven minutes like that's like, yeah and i i've i've enjoyed slow films you know i've enjoyed you know like um like Bergman and uh, roy anderson's films are quite slow i've you know i, I it's not that i think it's not I, I want to watch Fast, the Fast and the Furious, you know. It's it's not that I, I, I'm like, put a car chase in it, please, Michael. It's just completely vacant. Mm. I can't see what it's about. and uh, But also I suspect that it is about something that I can't connect with and that's why I, I feel resentful towards it. But then I just think, you know, good film shouldn't necessarily be impossible to work out. Shouldn't, you know, like lots of those sort of films, you kind of think, oh, well, maybe I'm the problem. And it's like, well, not necessarily. I mean, you can have a great work of art that everyone can enjoy without it 
like lowering the the standards you know it can still be interesting and diverse and and a little bit complicated that's true it might just be bad i'm not sure i'm not sure you know i went to film school i've seen enough um uh, you know art films and indie films and odd films to know that um that there are there are some that i like and some that i don't like and i, I for, for i don't i no longer feel compelled to pretend to like or enjoy or understand um, capital G great films that I don't like, yeah, and that Michael Haneke falls in that category. So, uh, so cancel me, come on, internet. <laughs> but isn't that one of the nice things about getting older? Is just going, I'm, I'm fine with not liking this one. You know what? I quite like stories. I quite like a film to have a story. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Pardon me for liking plots. <laughs> when you see something that everyone else likes or has been very lauded in the press or whatever. And when you don't like it, it's such a, it does feel like a personal failing and you kind of go, you start off and you're kind of excited and you go, oh, okay, this is difficult, but I'll, I'll not sort of admit that loudly to myself yet. I'll just stick with it. It really you... exercises people, I think. Yeah. Like we're recording this just after the Oscars and the people who didn't like everything everywhere all at once are not happy about <laughs> the people who did like it yeah. and have determined that the people who do like that film are awful people because, they, because it, uh, you know, it's, it's like me with The Matrix, which I feel like, meh, about but because it was so popular with my generation, I feel compelled to say, no, actually, it's not very good, <laughs> even though actually I think it's fine. And I'm delighted by how much people like everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, um, it's, it's really moving to some people. Uh, I have to say it, it wasn't particularly to me. I found it enjoyable and funny, but uh, I, it wasn't a life-changingly important, impactful film. I, I don't think it's spectacular. But the um, the fact that the people who don't like it have decided have have decided to go on internet rampages and write articles about how how awful you have to be as a human being to enjoy um, everything everywhere all at once irritates me because I think it's there's probably a, an element of like oh it's not very relatable or do you mean that it's about Chinese people and also an element of um, oh it's it's not very profound do you mean that it has jokes in it and <laughs> a comedy film can't be serious you know a comedy film can't be taken seriously that irritates me a lot. Also, I actually just don't like it that much, though. So, I, uh, so is the the only once again the last the last living centrist APK neither likes the film nor dislikes the film a great deal. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I really liked it, and one of the, I was really happy to see it do so well, just because pretty much every year the the things that do really well are films that I just think. Not that fussed about watching that. It looks well. Really absolutely, like... it's not. It's not like a bland film has never won Best Picture at the Oscars. Come yeah. on. Yeah, but just so many times, it's like it looks like it's going to be slow and heartbreaking and difficult. And I just, I just don't like those kind of films a lot of the time. Or I'm just, I, 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 they don't draw me in. They don't sort of make me think. Oh God, I can't wait to see that guy rekindle his difficult relationship with his son over many years. It's I like... absolutely hate. I hate when characters come of age <laughs> and I hate father-son relationships in films. We could, oh, can we just have 10 years with none of that, please? And then we can go back to doing them again. I but, hate them. But yeah, I don't know. This film is like funny and silly and a bit weird yes. and like, it had some action. And I just thought, I'm so glad that this has done well. And it's not like, ah, oh, the serious one where a man has a conversation for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, and Michelle Yeoh is brilliant and it's nice to see her. And um, I, I can't remember the name of the guy in it, which is annoying 
because it, because he's had such a an inspiring revival. It would be the least the least you'd think I could do would be to know his name, but I, I don't. But now I'm going to refer to him from now on as the guy from Everything Everywhere All at Once, yeah. rather than the kid from Indiana Jones. So that is the highest compliment I'm capable of paying. Yeah, I think if you just called him short round the whole time, that'd be worse. <laughs> I didn't even know the name of the kid from, I did love that kid, Data. That I, I was my favourite character when I was a kid. Yeah, in the Goonies. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. In the Goonies. I mean, and both. also Data from Star Trek. I only liked characters called Data. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Right. Well, we have your entertainment sorted. Sorry, film buffs. <laughs> your boy Michael Haneke is going down. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like deservedly so. Now, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? I'm going to go with small dogs. Mm, good. Not, yes. not not your reasonable kind of small dogs. I'm not talking about your Jack Russells. I'm not talking about the ones that, that look like they could get down a rabbit hole and do some damage. I mean the um, the ones that we've selectively bred to be on the very brink of life mm. with bulging eyes uh, and, and wheezing and tongues that, that loll because not, nine out of ten small dogs... Um, are just evil, just horror, you know, just personality-wise, have just been 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 bred to be in in you know little monsters, hmm. and then one in ten has a sense of its own wretchedness and just looks at you with its bulging eyes in a sort of a, a way you may like this kind of a way. <laughs> uh, it's like they they're asking us to kill them. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not in favour of um, eugenics, <laughs> but I'm just saying we need to we need to if we've selectively bred them into this cul-de-sac. Yeah. It's time to what it's time to do what what they need and they want, which is for them. To, is we need to crossbreed the tiny dogs with the biggest dogs we can find, to just try and get an average dog out of it. <laughs> so like an Irish wolfhound and a and a, and a, a Shih Tzu. Let's make it happen. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. But I guess the Irish wolfhound, for for um, ethical reasons, should be the mother, though. I think because otherwise it's just not fair on those tiny dogs who've <laughs> yeah, already nightmare. been through so much. You know. Oh no, yes, you'd be in a grotesque Tardis-like situation. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't, I haven't thought through the practicality of it. That's okay. Um, We're all working this out. Together. Also, Irish wolfhounds have a very short lifespan because they're too big. So right. they're a bit too big. It's like the way tall men live less long. I saw that Crufts was on the other night, and um, I have no interest in dogs, but I sometimes... How, how do you feel about the winners? <laughs> Very strong opinions, just like the Oscars? Well, I just think sometimes it's fun to watch it a bit and just see, like, how what happens over thousands of years when men get bored. Yeah. Have you seen pictures of dogs from, like, the um, the Edwardian times, even? Like, when you see pictures of dog breeds for the, from the Edwardian times, they look different. There are photographs of, like, this is the archetypal version of this breed. And they've got like snouts and things that they no longer have because we've bred the snout out of them in about 100 years. It's so bizarre. They needed the snout. It was for sniffing. (laughs) Must be weird if you're a breeder and you really want a particularly messed up dog, but you know that you can't (laughs) do it in your lifetime. You're like, oh, (laughs) but it'll be be so tall yet so short, but like so narrow. Yeah, uh, just really narrow. Exactly. I want it like flamingo legs. Uh, yeah. And a body the width of a pencil. Yeah, just like really tall, but no length to the body. So it's just <laughs> just like a pillar. That's what I want. Oh, why have we done it to them? It's like it's their suffering for our crimes. And now they're overrunning this island. And then you have to carry them because they can't walk because they're so tired. And like, yeah, it's out of sympathy for the dogs that I'm saying 
call call the, I, I I I said it on stage during a work in progress show. I said that we should call all small dogs, and uh, there was a complaint. So as a as a vegan, I want to make it clear that my calls to to murder animals are uh, intended. Uh, satirically. Yeah. So just we're not going to kill the ones that are there. We're just going to stop more stop being making made. New ones. And the the current crop can die slowly. I mean, well, die out gradually. Or quickly in some cases. Yeah, I don't want to kill like, them slowly. Like, just sort of just crossbreed our way out of this this hole. Come on, we can do yeah, it. Just give them a shot at life. You've you've seen the way they look at big dogs. You know they want to have sex with them. <laughs> so let's help them build some kind of step ladder. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be in the park and one will start barking at me when I'm with my kids. And it's like, I don't know what to say to you. I, you're the least intimidating <laughs> thing I've ever seen. You look like, yep. you know, some weird, like um, Jim Henson creation from Labyrinth. <laughs> um, and and I, I have a lot of issues with your owner. So please kindly step aside and let my child walk past. You're right. They do. If they talked, they would all talk. With that kind of Brian Henson <laughs> hoggle kind of voice. Yeah. Like, I'm a little dog. <laughs> uh, you know, they'd be so annoying. I hate them. Fair enough. And we're going to have an island overrun with them for you. So uh, we'll give you all the different breeds of the, the pugs and the, the bulldogs and all the different things. So They're going to get into the milkshake. It's going to be horrible. Yeah, it'll be horrendous. Okay. Well, look, Alistair, I think you've done a superb job of, of getting a really horrendous island together for you, Thank for you, you. to live on. Thank so, you very um, much. I, and I, I can tell with your analytical kind of mind, it's, it's going to be a particular hell for you uh, staying <laughs> <laughs> on the island. But um, yeah, let's distract everyone from, from the hellscape and uh, tell us what you're up to at the minute because you've got a tour kicking off. I do. Uh, I'm doing a, a little UK tour, um, in mostly in England, a little bit in Scotland, a bit in Northern Ireland. Nothing in Wales as a deliberate snub against the people <laughs> of Wales. Um, I, I refused to go. Uh, that isn't that isn't true, um, but it just turned out that way. Um, and there's about tw- 25 dates. Some of them are sold out. We've added a few extras. You know, uh, Manchester, Brighton, um, Birmingham, Newcastle, Glasgow, Edinburgh. Uh, Belfast, Derry, and uh, a whole load of places in the southeast of England, um, which uh, is, in, in my view, very much the small dogs of England. But I do live there, so um, it's really easy for me to get to gigs. Bath, uh, there's one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, uh, the tour is called the Interdimensional ABK, and um, it's the opposite of, of this. Um, the, the premise is that I, the Interdimensional ABK, come from a parallel universe which is slightly better than this world. And so it's observational comedy from uh, from that point of view, and it's a lot of fun. I've done one one date of the tour so far, and um, uh, it was it was sold out, and it went really well. So let's hope I can maintain that for the rest of the run. <laughs> cool. So people can find all the dates, obviously online on your website and on Twitter and stuff like that. And, yes. Um, and obviously, on your website's got loads of other good stuff as well, like animations you've done. And um... yes, you can find me on YouTube. You can see animations. Uh, if you like whodunits for kids, I wrote a book called Montgomery Bon Bon Murder at the Museum, mm-hmm. which came out last month. Yeah. And is a, a murder mystery for uh, I think eight to twelve year olds. Uh, but you can read it if you're older. Uh, and if you're younger and just really bloodthirsty. <laughs> Plus, it's a kid's book, so there's no VAT. Nice one. Okay. Well, there is the good news for fans is there's plenty of content of yours out there. and uh, Ample content, yes. And I apologize if you're a Michael Haneke fan. <laughs> so you might find, you might come to my show and be really bored and feel. Yeah. <laughs> the- I don't know that they're listening to this podcast, to be honest. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're not you're not aiming for the Hanukkah crowd. Okay. Yeah, I think that Venn diagram is a very small sliver in the middle. So. <laughs> but we'll see. Get in touch, anyone, if if you are that person. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Alistair, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me. 